Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. Welcome to Series 3 of the Tim Hill Podcast. In the last two series, I've told you about my life. I've met many interesting people along the way who have become my friends and what they all have in common is they have fascinating stories of their own which they are happy to share with you now. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Jonathan. Jonathan's going to try and read my mind. However, I'm going to try and get him to... I'm going to try and read his. So, Jonathan... If you can tell me when and where you were born, and then if you can describe what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. So, you're in the room. Outstanding. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, uh, let's see. I was born in January 28th, 1983, just outside Sacramento, California. And... I don't remember much of it because my family picked up and moved clear across the country to the mountains of North Carolina. They didn't leave you behind, did they? No, no. They they probably <laughs> tried. I probably made a fuss about it. But yeah, they, they moved when I was about three, four years old. So basically all of my memories start in North Carolina. And I've always really appreciated the the schooling that I got because the elementary school that I went to, my grandma had gone from elementary school and graduated high school from that building. Wow. So, so it was really cool to be able to go to that same building while she was still alive and go kindergarten through sixth grade. And the way that I got bribed into wanting to go to school was every kindergartner got a chicken. Welcome to North Carolina. Wow. <laughs> so so the the kindergarten <laughs> class, we would have they had eggs under the incubator, and then we would all watch the eggs hatch. And then each each kid got to take one of those baby chicks home and then raised the the baby chick from day one. That was that was your chicken. I I, so, I, can, I can see something. <laughs> something just sprung to mind. <laughs> a load of kids yeah. rushing around the, <laughs> the playground yep. after their chickens. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, we, I brought that brought that baby chick home and had three stripes on her back. So I I called him Garfield, and then turned out it was a, a hen, not a rooster. So she was Mrs. Garfield. <laughs> so that was fun and and she would follow me around the yard i'd put her on the swing set and push and she would swing like <laughs> this was this is the best pet ever and then one day i go inside for kool-aid i come back outside and there's nothing but feathers left there mm. she had to have gotten got by a fox or a hawk or something mm. and and that was that was my first First lesson with loss and death. <laughs> so I came to grips with that pretty early. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, you must have shed a tear or two over your poor hen, Mrs. Cole. Oh, yeah. Just devastating. Oh. I, I, I've not felt that bad since then. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was kind of the high watermark for loss and despair. Mm. And, and ever since then, it's like, okay, it hasn't been at least that bad. Yeah. yeah, so that was that was kind of my my early start. And so what it was, was, it was what was the school like? Had it had it changed since your grandmother was there? Had they not decorated it? Did they have the same um, tables and chairs? They they had updated tables and chairs, but that was about it. It was a a brick schoolhouse. It was kind of bigger than you'd imagine because in in my mind it would be a, a single single room schoolhouse mm. from from boards but it was actually a, a brick building with lots of rooms and 
big auditorium and a gymnasium. So it was a, it's a real facility. It, it wasn't mm. a, a slap together kind of thing. And at, at, in that auditorium, I saw my first magician that I ever saw when I was about fifth grade. I saw a magic show there. I was like, that looks cool. And, and yeah, it, it was just a, a lot of fun. And some of the same teachers that were there early on with my uncles were still there for me at the back end of their career. So it was wow. just kind of neat to, to go to the same building that my grandma went to and the same school with some of the same teachers that my uncles went to way back in the day. So it was just a really, really cool kind of legacy that mm. I don't think a lot of other people get to experience nowadays. So that yeah. was that was really, really something else. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm guessing that they'd had your card marked right from day one. Then, <laughs> absolutely. But I was, <laughs> I was a weird kid in that I'm, I'm super introverted. I was really shy and quiet as a kid. So I wasn't really a troublemaker. I was too smart for my own good and I would get bored quickly, but I wasn't naturally a class clown or acting up to get attention. That that wasn't my style. Mm. I was I was more kind of teacher's pet because I I was smart, I could do the work and I I wasn't disruptive. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I'm moving so on then. What happened yeah. after sort of fifth, sixth grade? Well, we go to junior high and and that was a good time. Junior high was kind of the the weird in between that I don't remember much of. It's like elementary school was a lot of fun. High school was cool. Middle school was middle school, I guess. It was it was all right. But so you moved I, from that school that you you where you you your uncles and your grandmother went to, to 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 the middle school, right? And there were two middle place. schools, right? There were five or six elementary schools in the county, then two middle schools, and then one high school. So you just kind of it's like tributaries coming together to the main river. Mm. And I went to west, and <clears throat> east was the enemy. <laughs> so it was a very clear west side, east side rivalry going on. So, so it was the, the Titans was the high school. And I don't even remember what the junior high. Not the Sharks and the Jets. Was. And yeah, no, no switchblades. Although, you know, that would have been great. It would have been a lot more exciting, you know, than snapping fingers. Stab somebody. Yeah. So, so junior high was, was fun. I spent a lot of time. Uh, just we would have outdoor recess in the south parking lot so that was kind of weird just like here go play on on pavement <laughs> <laughs> okay and yeah so i i'm really trying to think the, anything remarkable there not really <laughs> we there you know there was one one day in the algebra class where we had had a um, civil engineer come in to talk about traffic lights. And that was to show us algebra. He goes, okay, you've got X number of cars at this intersection. Who goes first and how much throughput can you get in Z amount of time? That kind of a thing. So we were trying to figure out, okay, with this traffic pattern and amount, who should go first? Who goes next? How long should the light be for them and work it out? And it, it was weird because we all got the same answer. And he goes, that's that's really close. There's one better. And oh, we're out of time. See you guys later. <laughs> and I never knew like that, that one dangling <laughs> answer that I will never know ever. I. I can't know what that answer is. So I, I got used to 
the the nature of mystery pretty early on, I guess, mm. <laughs> <laughs> where where I I was okay with not having to know something mm. because the my ability to know it is non-existent. So yes, yeah, so that I guess would be the most defining middle school uh, character for sure. <laughs> and uh, it never came back. Never came back. Never. Never. We time. asked, we're like, oh, we could we could get in touch with them. And she never did. The teacher never That's did. Just selfish, that is. That's yep. just selfishness. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was wild, man. Wow. But yeah, so, that was Diving on then to um to to high school, how was that? So Did that you was play any sports. Well, that's when I started was in high school, because my best friend, my best friend, was a really good runner, so he could run long distance. So then he was doing it, so I should do it, and neither of us had a car, so we would just run to each other's house to hang out. So if we wanted to hang out, we'd have to run the three or four miles across town for us to to be in the same place at the same time. So most of our time was spent running, and that was the best shape of my life I've I've ever been in. Um, but you know, I I do have to rewind just a little bit because I'm I'm realizing that it wasn't in school, but it was around junior high time where I learned how to juggle fire because I went to a, a summer camp between grades and it was during the day. So it wasn't like go off with your sleeping bag and then come back in three months with a beard. It was <laughs> go, go hang out at eight o'clock in the morning and then you're off at five. Just keep you occupied while your parents are at work kind of a thing. But the guy that was running that program was a retired entertainer, circus clown, street performer, weirdo person. Like he he's the one of the most interesting people I've I've ever met and he was kind of my first mentor. So he was the guy that was running the program and I had learned how to juggle from my uncles and and then in the summer program he goes, "Oh, so you can juggle tennis balls. You want to learn how to juggle pins?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do." And and that's what's in my my background right there. And then he goes, well, now that you know how to juggle pins, because that took me a couple of days, he goes, well, you want to learn how to juggle fire? It's like, yeah. <laughs> he says, well, it's it's exactly the same thing as juggling pins. It's just you don't grab the wrong end. That's it. That's <laughs> that's all you got to worry about. That makes an awful oh, yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, yeah, don't wear synthetic clothing because it will melt into your skin. Uh, if you do grab the wrong end, just let go. So you you don't you don't grab and hold on, and your brain knows this feels wrong. <laughs> let me <laughs> let me let go. So you really don't have a problem with with burning your hands much. Mm. Uh, so yeah, he he taught me how to juggle fire, and then since I could juggle fire, another person that was helping run that program taught me how to hammer nails up my nose. So when I was 15, <laughs> when I was 15, I was hammering nails up my nose. So now, now we're into high school. Mm. So yeah, so I, I'm hanging out with these guys and I'm a part of the program for several years and, and learning everything and anything that they'll teach me. So that, that was the progression. I learned how to juggle fire when I was 13, hammer nails up my nose when I was 15. And then when I turned 18, then I learned how to do the dangerous stuff. And they taught me how to eat fire. So, so that was so banging that was a nail up your nose isn't dangerous. Then it really is. <laughs> it really is. It's just that eating fire is visibly dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Hammering a nail up your nose—if you do it the wrong way—will kill you. So don't do it the wrong way. That's simple. Yeah. But it's also dangerous if there's anybody close to you. Because if they want to touch it and they don't understand how how really dangerous this situation mm -hmm. is, if they boop it a little too hard because they think it's a trick, yeah. well, you just gave yourself a lobotomy. That's not good. <laughs> so 
it's oh, not George so much Bush. that <laughs> right exactly so it's not that it's going to be dangerous because it's a very sensitive part of your body like you're not you're not yeah. going to oops this part right it's that other people make it more dangerous and that's why it's dangerous but for you yeah it's it's really it's uncomfortable it's yeah. strange it is a very weird sensation well, it's a bit like well, sticking you your finger it. up your nose, isn't it? You know, when you, when you get that far up. Right, like, right, like exactly. <laughs> yep, I love that. I love that. But that's, that's, that's another detail. That's how you do it wrong, is if you go straight up, that's yeah. how you kill yourself. You go straight back into your sinuses, and then you kill yourself as your sinuses turn into the back of your throat. The nail keeps going, and now it's <laughs> maybe an inch away from your spinal cord. So that's that's why it's such a, a delicate situation that you're putting yourself into, right? So yeah, I middle school. This is what I was well. doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't sneeze. That, while that was always it. the joke. Be like, don't make me laugh. Don't make me sneeze. I'll nail your foot to the floor, right? <laughs> and so, so this was the time where I was really starting to come out of my shell, doing magic tricks, because I yeah in in middle school. I did a, a trick where I would have somebody pick a card from the deck, put it back in, shuffle it up, put a rubber band on it, and then throw it as hard as I could in the gymnasium. And then the deck would almost get to the ceiling, but it would hit the wall maybe three feet from the ceiling, and their card would stick to the wall. And they kept that there for at least 10 years. Like they, they painted around the card because they just, they were like, this is interesting. This is interesting enough to keep. So that became part of the folklore of the middle school. Mm. So that, that was fun. And I won my ninth grade talent show and ninth grade was still in middle school. So it was kindergarten through six was elementary school, seven, eight, nine was middle. And then 10 through 12 was high school. So in ninth grade, I... I won the talent show doing some magic and I had the principal help me out and I was doing a, a cut and restored rope routine and put the rope around, like draped it over his neck, kind of like, uh, <laughs> like ceremonial robes or whatever, right? Draped around his neck. So I grabbed the the rope and then cut it and I'm talking and I noticed that I cut his tie at the same time <laughs> and then do a slow burn look and he's looking at his half tie looking at me <laughs> the whole place is going crazy so i i drop it in a paper bag and then cut the rest of his tie up and then take the pieces and put it in a bag and then give him the bag like ta-da <laughs> and then wave my hands snap my fingers open the bag up and the rope and the tie are restored thank you so much and everybody's minds are melting out of their face so yeah that that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So then that was that that was that cemented my <laughs> my place in the world as <laughs> the weird kid that does magic. Wicked. Yep. Yeah. And then summertime, I got invited to a a, a birthday party at a pool, and I thought it would be a great idea to show up with a chain and locks. And then have somebody chain my arms together and then throw me in the deep end of the pool. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> your normal teenage stuff. As you do, you know. It was, as, as you do. What else would you do? <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was fun. I could swim, kind of. Without being chained up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that alone was was challenging enough, but I I'm I'm very smart and stupid at the same time. I I like to think of it as high amplitude intelligence because my smart <laughs> is really smart and my stupid's real stupid. And that that is where those two come together. Like, oh, you can't swim all that well. Let's let's chain them up with heavy chains and then throw them in the deep end. That'll be great. Yeah, and and now that I'm older, what were the parents thinking? <laughs> like some 14 year old kid says, sure, I can't swim all that well, but sure. Chain me up and throw me in the deep end. What, what were they smoking? Like what, 
they, they're just horrific parents, and I hope to be just like them. <laughs> so, 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 did you survive? I did. I did survive. I, did I was you able get to dragged out. No, no, nobody had to save me. I I escaped early enough and was able to kick off the bottom to to come up to the top. That that everything was fine. How did you get but your chains back? I did. I I could dive down to the bottom and and get those. Um, I didn't really get invited to many parties though. Um, Not so I don't. Yeah, I don't. It wasn't quite the the social win that I thought it would be. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that that so all of all of my junior high interesting time happened outside of classroom hours. So basically I spent as you could probably tell, I spent all of my time thinking about stuff I would be doing outside of class. So how yeah. did you actually do in class? Did you did you I, did you manage to do enough to graduate? <laughs> yeah. That that was <laughs> kind of the the problem is that i figured out what school was pretty early that these people just want me to say some things and as long as i can say them i get i get good grades okay cool so i i got really good at knowing how to study for standardized tests and some some classes the tests would only come from the worksheets so it's really, really silly because, oh man, I, there was one class that I hated and I hated the teacher in, in high school and she's just a lazy teacher because do the reading, here are the worksheets, the test is from the worksheets, like absolutely no inspiration, no bringing the topic alive, nothing. It was just here are the same worksheets that I've probably probably been using since the seventies, that kind of thing. So I'm not, I'm proud of it and I'm not proud of it, but I'm proud of it that my friend and I, who were fantastic runners, he, he and I would grade each other's papers. So we wouldn't even fill them in. And then as as each of the students would be asked to answer the the questions on the worksheets to test, well, eventually you get around to us, and now we've got a one in four chance of being right. So there's there's no skin off our nose here because we're circling the correct ones mm. as it's going around the room. Then when it comes to us, I'm like, uh, it says here that it's B. And then they'd be like, that's correct. I'm like, hey, you did really well, guy. Like my my friend, I don't wanna I don't wanna say his name on air, right? In case he's <laughs> in the government or something and they they don't book <laughs> cheaters. But yeah, so so it would just be a a 25% chance of being right or wrong. And they'd be like, How could you get that one wrong? Oh goodness. <laughs> or or we would say it's B, and then and then we'd have to fuddle around with what the real answer would be. And then we'd only have to navigate that one question. The rest of them, we would circle or we'd go, how many do you want to miss today? So then, <laughs> so that was how the worksheets worked in our daily like grades. But then the tests came from the worksheets. But here's the weird thing. Recognition is a lot easier than recall. And that's a lesson that I, I've put into kind of my, my memory book the, much later is that it's easier to recognize that you've seen something before more so than it would be to recall the correct answer. So what you do is you look at the question and only at the correct answer. Then you look at the next question and you only look at the correct answer. And that's that's how you study for the exam. You're not even remembering the information so much as just kind of locking in. I've seen this before. So now when you're taking the test that is full of nothing but questions from the worksheets, you see a question and only one of the answers will even vaguely smell familiar. Mm. And then you go, I guess that one's B. Uh, C looks familiar. 
And that's how you get perfect scores. <laughs> you don't even need to know any of it. You're just recognizing the correct answer. That's why I'm saying like, I'm not proud of it, but I'm also proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> so when you understand how the system works, then you can go, oh, okay, I get mm -hmm. it. So I, I was sometimes too smart for my own good to see through the system and then game the system rather than learning the lesson the mm. teachers thought the system was set up to deliver. Because I was yeah. learning a lot, just not about their subject. I was learning about government institutions, really. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So you graduated high school with, I, I suppose, acceptable um, results. I, I did. And mainly that was the, the result of my debate teacher, Mr. Yetzi. Uh, he's he's still alive. He's fantastic. He taught some of my my uncles as well. Um, so I, I got that kind of flavor back in high school. But he's the the single person who I can point to who said, I'm not here to teach you what to think. I'm here to teach you how to think. And we just had debates. We learned rhetoric, how to present in front of an audience. I went to competitive debate tournaments on the weekends because that's the kind of nerd that I am. I thought that was a great way to, to spend my time. But from my performing, I knew that being in front of an audience is really difficult. And it was still a struggle for me because I was shy. My hands would shake and, mm. and it wasn't great. So I knew I need to know how to be in front of people doing a difficult thing. And debate was <clears throat> the cure. Mm. So I spent most of my time doing that because in high school I'd played saxophone in the band. And then when I get to high school, it was like, well, do I either keep doing band or do I do debate? And that was an easy choice for me debate. So that was my single elective that I took every single semester in, in high school. So I, I learned the most about the skills that have done me well since then in debate class. So I graduate and I wind up going to college in Kentucky in a, a school called Berea College. Either you've never heard of it or you've heard of it and you go, oh, my goodness, that's the best school ever. Because it's designed for poor Appalachian kids who wouldn't be able to go to school otherwise. And your parents have to make under a certain amount of money to even be able to apply. So if you're a really smart and really poor kid in the mountains, of North Carolina, that's a really good school for you to get into. Mm -hmm. And everybody that gets in gets a full tuition scholarship. But you have to work for the college. So at this point, I've got shiny blue hair. I'm skateboarding. And now I'm working with the, the maintenance crew of the college in Kentucky, which is a whole bunch of just good old boys that hunt and fish on the weekends. And now they're dealing with a blue haired skater. It was a, it was a really interesting culture clash. And, and they, they responded well to the magic. So mm -hmm. I would do magic tricks and they were like, Oh, that one was great. Magic man. That, that is a really good trick. You know, if you want to take off for the rest of the afternoon, you, you sure can. So I learned, I learned a bunch of cool <laughs> tradecraft stuff, like how to fix a washer and dryer, how to clean out a drain, how to fix a, a shower head, like all the stuff that you would want to know. I learned working in college, working with Kentucky good old boys. Like one guy would. Did, did you, um, did you learn how to set up a still? Actually, <laughs> we. We talked about it, never, <laughs> never got to get hands-on training with it, but absolutely more than one of those guys had, had firsthand experience with, with making that happen. So yeah, I, I've, I've got the old timers ways deep in my bones from, yeah. from that. So in college, I was studying art. That was, that was what I always wanted to do since since kindergarten, I was always drawing and I love comic books and Transformers and G.I. Joe's. So I was always tracing and, and trying to draw the cool characters. 
and then turn it turns out in college there's no degree for comic book drawing so i went into painting instead and and that was my emphasis even though it was a liberal arts college you had to take a little bit of of everything and it was there that i met my my other mentor james randy who was at the time basically world famous for being a critical thinker because he was in his heyday one of the most famous magicians on the planet like he would hang upside down from helicopters and escape from straight jackets and he was on the tv show happy days and he was so famous as the celebrity guest that it was a two-part episode so they had him for episode one episode two so he was from the world of showbiz and magic so a lot of the magicians that you would recognize got their start working with Randy, right? Like mm-hmm. Randy introduced Penn and Teller to each other. Yeah. So they, and Chris Angel, Randy gave him the name Chris Angel. So it was really cool that he came to the college. And from my time, like most of my magic training came from the library in my hometown. Mm-hmm. So I would just, hang out there for a couple hours until mom was off of work and then she'd come pick me up and then take me home. But I would just spend hours reading magic books from the forties and fifties. So everything that I was doing, I learned from a book that I taught myself. Then I had kind of known about him from some of the more recent magic books and that kind of thing. So then I was like, I have to meet this guy. I have to, this, I have to. So then I cut, class for two days to hang out with him and we hit it off and i just had enough gumption to go hey i know that you've got a foundation where you are running a million dollar challenge to anybody who claims to have genuine psychic powers if you need help organizing paperwork if you need somebody to sweep the place i'm sure that i could work the system write an independent study to get college credit and therefore college funding for it. It wouldn't cost you much. What do you think? And he goes, yeah, you're hired. We'll figure it out. So that's how (laughs) I got, I got the kind of apprenticeship with him. So every, every summer I would leave Kentucky. I would go down to Fort Lauderdale, like two miles off the beach and then hang out with Randy and talk shop all day, every day. We would have breakfast and lunch together. I'd be free for dinner on my own. I I lived at the foundation in a back room that was kept as an apartment. So that's that's where I lived every summer in college. And that was my like true education in in showbiz and how to perform, how to think about putting together a show, all that kind of stuff. And then Berea is really cool because it's a 414 semester system. So you've got four classes in the fall. Then January is a single class that is specifically designed to be outside of your major and your area of interest. Purposefully something wacky just to to fill in your your knowledge and skills, right? And then the the spring semester would be back into the four classes that composed your real education. So every January I would write an independent study around the topic of the science conference that Randy was organizing as a fundraiser for his foundation that would be put on in Vegas. So I got college funding to go to Vegas for a month. <laughs> did, did I give you enough funding to, to have the odd, um, the odd bet now and then? Ab- absolutely but also a uh, straight quote from randy vegas is built on the backs of losers you're like whoo that is brutal but it's true it's like a 94 percent return on your money is not a good investment this is this is not good so i learned really on from him that like look don't don't gamble it's it's not as much fun as you think and and because it wasn't that kind of dopamine hit of winning and, oh, maybe I could win more. 
since that was so beaten into me that like, no, think of this as you're going to the movies and you're going to spend 20 bucks for an hour's worth of fun. That's how to think about it. So that really helped me avoid the gambling bug because, you know, growing up, you're learning card routines and how to how to gamble and and cheat at playing cards and bottom dealing and all the techniques of old school gamblers. You're learning it and you're like, yeah, let's let's go. <laughs> and then you you see the reality of the situation. You're like, oh, I could get my hands broken. OK, that's that's not fun. And then in Vegas, like you're not dealing the cards. You're not touching the cards. You get dealt what you get dealt. You're like, oh, OK, I see. So Vegas was a lot of fun because hanging out with Randy, all the big name magicians in Vegas would come hang out with Randy. So I told Randy, I'm like, listen, man, I'm I'm going to follow you like a lost puppy. I'm I'm not going <laughs> to leave your sight. I'm always going to be right next to you. He's like, you got it. That's that's the deal. So that's that's how I got to meet all the the big names that I had been enthralled with for years, watching them on TV and and that kind of thing. So I like get to go watch uh, Lance Burton perform and then go backstage with him. And then I go, I saw you on the Carson show and you were great. Your lovely assistants were even better. And he goes, oh, yeah, Scarlett and Joanna. It's like, <laughs> would you tell them thank you? And he's like, you got it. Right. So, so getting to, to meet and, and hang out with my childhood heroes was, was fantastic. So that was where most of my real training came in to, to the picture. So yeah, that was, that was my college getting to learn how to paint portraits by day, going to Vegas by night, you know, Mm. living the dream. Absolutely. (laughs) So you finally then um, graduated college. Did you get an honors degree? Did you get a couple of firsts, or or did you just scrape <laughs> it through? And <laughs> weird, weirdly, I did really well in college because I loved it. I really, really loved it. Um, there was one one class in particular. Uh, it was like recent events since 1945, and and Professor Rafai, who recently passed on. Um, it was his life's work. He loved it. You could tell that this was just his passion and I couldn't care less. Like at the time I was like, this is the most boring thing ever. He won't let me shuffle cards in class. This is the worst class <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> and I, I had a talk with him. I was like, listen, man, I, I don't know what to write a term paper on. I'm good at, at making people laugh. I'm good at painting a picture I'm not good at writing an academic paper with citations and references. I was like, hey, this just, this isn't me. So he worked with me to, to help me out to, to get through the, the class. He's like, here's all you got to do. Right? Just write the paper. Just write the, you don't have to love it. I'll just assign you a topic. I was like, please do. So yeah, that was the, that was the one kind of challenge. But the rest of it was actually pretty simple. Um, like I took, I took biology my senior year and it was horrific because it was nothing but memorization. But by then I had already been interested in mnemonics and memory techniques that go all the way back to ancient Greek times. Mm. So that's how I was learning all these magic routines and, and all this stuff was I had learned about memory. So I was using memory techniques to wrote memorize these weird failing, like all the weird biological terms. I could just lock it in mm-hmm. and then regurgitate the information. So college actually was pretty straightforward for me. It was difficult, um, mm-hmm. but it was it was the kind of difficult you really enjoy. Yeah. And yeah, so I graduated with really good grades. I don't remember what my GPA is. Because uh, I was never about the grades, because I mm. I never thought about college as a training ground for a job that needs you to have a college degree. Mm. So I never was like, oh, I got I'm I got to get good grades so I can graduate and get a good job. That never was a part of the puzzle. I always so, knew I'm going to go to college for art and then be an entertainer. Like you don't you don't need anything other than your own skills. Like fine let's let's go so once you graduate 
what was the first thing you did after graduation? I, <laughs> so in college, I was on Friday and Saturday nights doing mind reading at the local fanciest Italian restaurant. It was a sit down with white tablecloths and, and cloth napkins kind of place. And I had a suit and I would walk around the tables after they order, before they get their dinner, that, that gap of time where they would have to talk to each other yeah. and like, Oh, what do I have to talk about? I'm on a date. What do I do with my hands? <laughs> I would show up, entertain them. And then the food would show up and they're like, Oh, wow. The food's already here. And then go to the next table. Right. So I, I had been doing that. So I was used to performing and uh, part of, and part of the college was I did the Disney internship program. So I went down to Orlando for eight months and I drove a safari truck at Animal Kingdom. So that was that was a lot of fun. And I got college credit for it. I'm telling you, I know how to work a system. <laughs> so I when when I was down in Orlando, I would also be doing walk around mind reading at a tourist trap restaurant that had belly dancers and fire eaters and balloon twisters. I was the resident mind reader. So I would walk around and read people's minds, and and it was great. Well, it turns out that a couple that saw me there, when I went back to finish college in Kentucky, was at that restaurant, and they were like, are you from Orlando? I was like, no, but I think I know why you would say that. And they're like, honey, it is him. So that was like eight months later, five states between. They were like, that guy. So that that was the first lesson in branding that I learned mm. was that what I do creates unforgettable memories and companies will pay a lot of money for that skill set. So that was cool. All right. So I graduate college. I move back to Orlando and there's a guy that's opening a magic shop in Universal Studios. And part of the magic shop was doing a 15 minute magic show. And then saying, and everything you've seen me do, you could buy at the front. Mm. So I wound up doing 19,000 shows in two years. <laughs> 19,000 shows All in two years. What is it? All exactly the same. All exactly the same. Exactly. Yes. Because I would get bored. Muscle memory on a, on a trick. <laughs> yes. So I would get bored and I'd try to spice it up a little bit. I'd deviate from the script or I, and the, the owner of the shop would be like, Jonathan, stop performing, <laughs> sell the magic. If you make it look too good, nobody will think that they could buy it and then do the trick. So you gotta, you gotta pull it back, buddy. You gotta, you gotta pull it, it back. Right. And, and case in point, there's an absolute idiot. He knows who he is. I'm not going to say your name on air, but he was an absolute idiot. And he outsold me every single day. <laughs> his, his numbers were fantastic. And I can tell you, it's because every single audience member was going, if that idiot can do this, I know my seven-year-old can do this. <laughs> yeah, he, he, wasn't just, he wasn't just an idiot. He was just a bad person. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, so that was my first job out of, out of school. And then to rewind a little bit, in college, just like Randy got brought in, they would bring in entertainers every week. One week, it would be a singer-songwriter playing guitar in the coffee shop. Then the next, it would be a, a puppeteer would do a puppet show, but in the style of 1600s Japan, right? Like all sorts of really interesting cultural stuff. Well, one time they brought in a magician by the name of Brian Brushwood. And I was like, and that was where it clicked. It was like, holy cow, I want to do that. That's the kind of performing that I want to do. Is if I could just tour the country performing at colleges for cool college kids, that would be the best thing ever. Well, I hung out afterwards and I was like, hi, my name's Jonathan. I work with the amazing Randy. He was like, oh my God, the amazing Randy's a, a hero of mine. So that's how we got connected. Then, like a year later, he was at the science conference that I was helping run. And then I'm like, hey, Brian Brushwood. He's like, who are you? How do, how do you know my name? So that was before he, he kind of got famous. 
and then that reinforced, okay, Jonathan's a cool, cool guy. Well, then flash forward six years when I'm in Orlando, he gets booked as the entertainer at the entertainer at at the Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights. So he's going to be in Orlando for two months. And he goes, hey, Jonathan, do you want to be my tour manager for this year? Because if if you're my tour manager and we're in Orlando for two months, I don't need to pay for a hotel room because you already live there. So I'm going to save a lot of money having you as my tour manager. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes, man. Whatever it takes. And and the deal was, I know you're not going to pay me a lot of money, but I'm going to ask you anything and everything I can think of, and you'll have to answer it. And he goes, sold, let's go. So I opened for him. So that's how I started learning how to perform for college students and seeing how he interacts with his clients and how he does kind of a, a mini show of personality before the show starts and then hanging out afterwards with the audience members that want to sign autographs and that kind of thing. So just seeing his whole operation start to finish top to back front to sideways, that was, that was my training on how to make a living as a performer. So then I left the the magic shop to go on tour with Brushwood. And then that's where we start touring the country and did that for two years. And then I went out on my own as a, a mind reader in the college market. So I, I started doing my own full 70 minute mind reading show at colleges and had a college agent that I had met like two or three years before and seen at every conference and then let her know, Hey, I'm out on my own by, by now. If you need a mind reader, she's like, I actually do come on board. And now we've been working together for 15 years or so. Yeah. So that, so that was, that was it. Rapidly towards up to date. Right. Right. And, and a lot of, a lot of that. Uh, so working with her, my agent for colleges, got me to to entertain the troops stationed overseas in South Korea. So I got to do basically a USO tour for the troops over there and, and all that kind of stuff. And doing my own college show, I always, always make time to sign autographs afterwards. Makes me feel like a rock star, sure. But it also, I remember being that kid in line waiting on brushwood because I've never met anybody like this before. So I would, I would sign autographs, sign posters, sign books, that kind of thing. And, and then these kids would go, how do you do what you do? Like, I can't even imagine doing what you do for a living. And, and it was, and I've thought about it as kind of like two layers. One, they don't understand how the mind reading stuff works. Like, I, I can't even imagine how that would work on the surface level. But at the lower level, it's, wait a minute, you make a living as a professional mind reader for college students? Like, that's a job? I What? <laughs> right? Because most of them have that, I got to get good grades to go to a good college to get a good job to retire with a good mm -hmm. pension, right? So that's that's their whole life track that they've been taught and told and believed in since day one. And yeah. here I come just this weirdo comet streaking <laughs> through their universe. And they're like, what is that? Right. So I talked to these college kids afterwards and they were like, well, it's easy for you because you're so confident and outgoing. I'm like, not really. I'm actually really shy. Back in the day, I'd be too shy to even ask for ketchup at a restaurant. It's like, no, I'm, I'm like you. Right. So helping them demystify the the cult of magic that you've mm. got to be born special it's easy for you because insert excuse here all that kind of stuff so then I've, I've been on tour for about three years and i start getting emails from college kids going hey i don't know if you remember me or not but you came to my school in peoria and you talked to me after a show it blew my mind and i made a whole bunch of changes and 
it's awesome. Thank you so much. I just had to let you know. And that was the first glimpse that I'm like, oh, the way I think about things isn't so normal and it has value for people. So I put it all into a book and then that's why I wrote a book. And then as, as I'm learning how to be a better business person, I'm looking into business training and business books and all these authors are talking about, I understand the psychology of business, of sales, of marketing, of negotiations. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're just using stories that you made up to talk mm -hmm. about somebody that you don't know <laughs> to communicate a point that I use those principles in real time with strangers to make them look like a million bucks. I know this better than you. I'm going to eat your lunch. And then that's when I started shifting to corporate training because to me, helping a business is one of the most ethical ways to make the world a better place mm -hmm. because a business is a sustainable approach to making the world a better place. If it's profitable, it can continue. Sure, I could give you all the money that I have and I help you. That doesn't help me. And mm -hmm. now I can't help anybody else. But if you create a business, well, now you can pay employees who could feed their families and pay for their daughter's dance recital stuff. And every customer can get what you make at a good rate. So they've got more money to feed their family and the CEO benefits, right? So everybody that is involved with the business directly and indirectly, if you can help that business be better, you're helping thousands of lives be better. So that's why I still do the college stuff, but then started kind of talking about how I would develop my shows, how I develop my marketing and explaining all the mind stuff that makes the show work and how it applies to branding, marketing, sales, negotiations, delivery, right? How do you keep mm -hmm. your clients happy and coming back? And, and that was a big lesson from one of my, my friends was anybody can get hired anywhere once it's being hired back. That's the, the mark of, of excellence. Mm. So having customers that keep coming back, well, that's the healthiest way for your business to, to be better. So I, I just have been taking all these lessons and secrets from the performing world and then translating it into business speak for these big old companies to help their, their teams be better communicators, better speakers, better at everything that they do. Brilliant. Just yeah. want to take you back a little bit. You said you did some um, uh, CEO, uh, overseas tours for veteran or for, for the military. Yeah. So, yeah. And you said you went to Korea. I mean, yeah. obviously the, that, that 49 parallel setup is still there. Uh, yep, which I got to see. That's that's a big American um it's it's a UN operation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. under the UN. DMC. So, so yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Got, DMC was fun. And the blueberry for that. And yep. uh, the the UN medal for that. I mean years ago um the Brits were on that as well. Um but a long time ago we stopped doing it. When I was when I was in training, one of one of the one of the corporals had done the uh, UN Korean trip uh, or oh, wow. operation. Yeah. So, what other um, shows did you go and do? Where else did you did you manage to get to, or is that just the the one off? Yeah, I was I was in South Korea for about two weeks, and I did fourteen shows at I think twelve bases. So I did two shows at the same base twice. Um, so I was, I was in Seoul. So they put me up in Seoul. Thank you, taxpayers. That was great. And then I would have a driver. It was, it was a tour bus just for me. Oh. So I had a driver and the, the guy that would set up the sound system and me in a whole tour bus. So it was really, really weird. So they had roll up at, at the morning. I would get on the bus. Good morning. And then we would drive across the country to whatever base I was working at that day. And then I'd set up the, the show, do the show, get back in the bus. Then they cart me back to, to Seoul. And mm -hmm. one day, 
at at one of the shows I had set up and it was in kind of a bar like this. This isn't fine art venue with 1400 seats like (laughs) this is the area of the bar where we have shows kind of thing. So I had set up and it's still like three hours until showtime. And I'm just sitting at the bar, staring at the bar because there was nothing for me to do. And somebody bear hugs me like arms wrapped around my arms and like pulls tight. And then their mouth is right by my ear. And I hear him whisper, I want to see a different show. And that's weird. Like that's, that's really weird. And my first instinct was he's not going to out weird me, whoever this is. So as best I can, I reach back and start scratching the back of his head. Like, Oh yeah, you go buddy. Right. Just, just to do something that was unexpected and weirder. <laughs> Turns out it's one of my buddies from college who, <laughs> who, anyway. <laughs> yeah, like he, yeah. Cause he had seen me absolutely drunk at a, at a dorm party and still do routines. Like I, <laughs> I used to use duct tape and put it all over my face while absolutely hammered and I have to hold on to a table because I was so drunk and then people would hold stuff behind my head and I could tell them what it was. Right. Like that was, that was part of my, my stupid college trick. So yeah, he had, he had seen me at my absolute worst and still done a good job. Yeah. So he and his wife, who I also knew his wife had gotten stationed over there and they saw my big old dumb face on a billboard. And they were like, that's Jonathan. I know him. So they came <laughs> to see the show. And then, and then after the show, we're hanging out and they're like, what day do you have off? I was like, I think I got Tuesdays off or something. So on Tuesday, they came to pick me up to go hang out with some other Berea folks that were in Korea. And then one of my other friends that was there in Korea was like, hey, I teach English at a college level to to a whole bunch of folks here do you want to do a show for them it's like i sure do (laughs) so that's that's how i got booked to to do a mind reading show for his english class and i was like you know what i do you kind of need a high degree of linguistic acumen here Mm -hmm. right he goes no no they they all speak english at a college level you're you're golden so that was that was a great time Mm -hmm. yeah and also my high school best friend who we would run everywhere together was in Pusan down by the coast teaching English. So I flew in about five days early to Seoul, took the train down to Pusan, hung out with him for basically a week and got to hang out with a whole bunch of expats from all over. Then got back on the train, went back North to Seoul and then walking up the stairs there's my military liaison with the sign with my name on it, like just <laughs> straight out of the movies. I was like, that's me. This is great. So so I went, hey, can I go back down the escalator and then come up so I could get video of it? She was like, yeah, sure. So I ran down the stairs, get back on the escalator and come up and then come over the ridge. And then there she is with the sign. I was like, yeah, Hollywood. So, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> so that was one of the the only kind of overseas tours that I've done. And oh, right. you didn't, you didn't get to do Iraq or Afghanistan uh, on a, no. a full on show because no, because the British military had the, the CSE shows. And mm-hmm. um, when I was in uh, the last one I saw was in um, 2009 in Afghanistan, I was I was in Helmand and we had um, a guy called Jim Davidson and um, Catherine Jenkins came out, so he was like the, the comedian and she was the singer. And cool. uh, so, so yeah, I would have loved got, to. I just haven't had it happen. Yeah, yeah. You normally, you've got a couple of couple of acts that that um, on our CSE show. So you were just a single uh, act. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, it was it was just the me show um, mm. because there there are two flavors. One is the USO show, which is the full scale production with multiple very famous people who don't need the money. Bing then Cross there's M- that like. Yeah. And then MWR is the kind of weekly thing that is for entertainers that need to get paid. 
So it's not as glitzy and, and glamorous, but it's better for your pocket right? because <laughs> you're actually getting paid. But it's 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 the Jonathan show. Right. Okay. And and one extra wrinkle was that every year they did maneuvers and that was the time of year that I was brought in. So there weren't huge audiences either. It was kind of mm. like the spouses and and some of their friends would show mm. up. So every location, they're like, we're really sorry. Most people are out on maneuvers, so it's not going to be as big. It's like, listen, man, I'm getting paid either way. Like, what <laughs> what else would I be doing? Sitting at home watching Netflix? Absolutely not. Like, this is <laughs> this is where I'm I am, right? So oh, that, that was fun. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, where you are today, then. Yeah, yeah that that brings us up current for for the most part, for sure. Wow, what a life! And you're still yeah. young. You're just a boy. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've crammed so many lives into this life. Um, like I've, I I skipped over a lot of the the personal drama stuff, right? Of of being broke and and having to borrow money from a performer buddy to get to the show, to get paid, to pay him back. And now I'm back at square one, mm. that, that kind of thing. So I had taken jobs between like doing phone sales. That was a total scam. It turns out. And, and the company closed up literally overnight. We left work, we come back the next day and there's mm. a, a chain and padlock <laughs> over the doors and the company just disappeared, owing all of us thousands of dollars, that kind of thing. And that was at the time time of my life where I I really needed that money, man. Right. So, so I've been through a, a lot, and <laughs> all of that coming together to to being more competent at at my job. Uh, but yeah, over over the years, getting better at touring and then helping more companies and uh, working with companies like BP and Discovery and. Uh, some airlines and and really cool, really cool clients doing really fun work. So now I own a couple of different businesses that at their core are all centered around helping companies connect with their audience. Yeah. So for entertainment at conferences and and that kind of a thing, being a keynote speaker as an MC as the featured entertainer for their VIP hospitality suite can do that. Then I've got another company that helps companies at trade shows because when I was 13 years old, learning how to juggle fire, I would go juggle fire on the sidewalk, draw a crowd, do a 10 minute magic show, then pass the hat for party money. Mm. Right now, many years later, I'm in the booth. (laughs) I'm in the booth drawing a crowd, do a 10 minute show and then hand them off to my client. Right. So at trade shows, it's, it's fantastic. Mm. So basically I'm 39 years old and at 18, when most people start a job, I've had 40 hours a week, 50 weeks out of the year for 26 years to do whatever I want to do. So I've been able to have the time to get world-class at like four or five things that most people never have the time to get good at one. Yeah. So it, well, it, it is a really fun life. <laughs> <laughs> and not about to change any time soon then. Yeah, no, I I plan on dying on stage. I know that's going to traumatize my audience, but it's how I want to go. <laughs> so yeah, there, there's no retirement okay, in my off. future. Yeah, no, all all the best magicians died on stage or yeah. getting to a stage. So that's that's my plan. So I mean, the likes of Houdini, then I guess he's one of your uh, your heroes. Yep. Yeah, and also because Randy was going by the Houdini playbook, just mm. straight, straight out of Houdini's playbook and then trying to one up it. It was like, all right, you'll get in a milk can. Well, I'll <laughs> hang upside down from a helicopter and escape from a straight jacket. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, Houdini was strong from, from Randy's playbook. And on my background right there is a lock and key set that I got from Randy. So yeah, so strong, strong roots in the the Houdini tradition. 
Fantastic. Well, Jonathan, I've really, really enjoyed this last hour. It's been terrific. Well, thank you very much. It, it's a it's an honor to be able to kind of share the story behind the the razzle dazzle of what I do. Because most of the time, people want to know about. All right, so you're on stage. What's that like being in front of a large audience? So it it's really cool for me to be able to tell the story of how I got there. So thank you. Yeah, I I, I think that's really important actually to 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 put that story down because a hundred years time uh, when Somebody will look back and, and say, Jonathan Pritchard, he was a magician at the time. Well, how did he get there? And this is the story of how you got to being. Uh, that's it. Grow up weird, reading books, and that's yeah. it. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening and look forward to the next one. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.